0: Hi, we're Shell and Wade. We'll be reading the Bible passages tonight. The first reading is from John 13, 1-17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do not you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and lord, And the second reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us.
1: Well, friends, it's been a blessing for me to be able to have joined you uh, this weekend for Bundy online camp. And tonight is the final talk on love. Now, you'll be able to download an outline or the full transcript of the talk at the camp page uh, of the Bundy website. Feel free to use those if it'll help you to follow along, but more importantly, keep your Bibles open. And over the course of the weekend, we've been looking at the topic of community. Uh, First, we look at how God um, made us for community, with him and others, and how this community has been broken by our sin. And yesterday we looked at how we need truth and grace in our relationships and how Jesus brings both truth and grace to us. And this evening we'll be looking at the essential thing called love. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, please help me to speak your word faithfully, uh, clearly, Uh, boldly and most importantly with love. Gracious Father, help us to hear your word. uh, Help uh, teach us about the love that you show us in Christ, that we might be people who love as we've been loved by Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Before we go further, let me do a little quiz on love. So four things I'm going to ask you, and you might like to think about what you agree with or don't agree with. Number one, love is a strong feeling for someone. Number two, love is doing something good for someone else. Love is, number three, something that happens to you. For example, people say they fall in love. It happens to you. Uh, Number four, love is making someone happy. Now, I'm going to address those four things in the talk. I'm not going to necessarily let you know when I'm doing that, but look out for clues as I uh, look and address at those ideas of love. Okay, all you need is love, so sang the Beatles in the 1967 Summer of Love. And anti-Vietnam War sentiments uh, were in the air, and this message, love is all you need, all you need is love, seems like such a simple, universal message. We need love. And I don't think any community would disagree with that statement, but I think there's lots of confusion about what love is. For example, if you uh, asked a Vietnam War veteran who came back, they will tell you, uh, without exception, that they were treated with anything but love for fighting in a war that they were drafted into without any choice. They didn't feel loved at all. Love is a word that is thrown around so much that many would actually say it's really obvious what love means. But I think it's the opposite. It's almost devoid of any agreed meaning. Take, for example, the referendum for marriage equality that we had uh, some years ago, and on the yes side of that uh, vote, the slogan was a vote for love, implying that if you voted no on the other side, you were voting for some other lesser reason, or even worse, you were voting for hate. This is where the no side, I think, lost the marketing war, because Their slogan was, it's okay to say no. But in fact, most of the people I know who voted no, voted out of love for others. So it raises the question, doesn't it? What is love? I think often love has come to mean unconditional affirmation. In an age of social media, we have this insatiable desire to be validated. Uh, We feel loved when people like the things that we say or share. Is that really love, though? Well, today I want to do three things in the talk. Firstly, from the Bible, I want to answer the question, what is love? Then I want to say we need to be loved by Jesus. And thirdly, we actually need to love like Jesus. Well, firstly, what is love? If you want us to know love, you go to the starting point of love, and that is God himself. Uh, As Shell read there from 1 John 4, verse 8, it says there that, God is love. Whoever does not know God, uh, does not love, does not know God because God is love. The starting point for any definition of love is God. Now, notice that John doesn't say it's the other way around. Love is God. Because if your starting point is love, then you decide what love is and then you call that God. God. And I think that's where the notion of unconditional affirmation has come to mean something like this. Love is this, therefore this must be God. Love is God. But when you actually start with God, you must look at God and determine what love looks like. So one of the things we see in the Bible is that God's love is other-centered. It's not man-centered. It's not self-centered. Now, what do I mean by that? Love existed long before God made man. It's a big concept, isn't it? There was actually love between the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. The Spirit points people to the Son and not himself. There's this community of love, each person of the Trinity seeking the good of the other. And from this union, the Trinity seeks to bring us into koinonia fellowship. That's something I spoke about this weekend. Father, Son and Spirit seek our good. Here's one of the verses in the gospel that show us this in John chapter 17. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Love existed before we did. If God is love, then we would expect that image bearers of God, that is us, well, we should reflect the depth and the richness of love. And love is a deep and rich subject. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, looking at the four different types of love mentioned in the New Testament. In it, he looks at affection, friendship, romantic love, and the most important love that he calls charity. And I want want to focus on that particular love that Lewis calls charity. The Greek word in the New Testament is the word agape. Agape is the dominant word used for love in the New Testament, and it appears many times. It is this sacrificial, other-centered love. It looks at what is good for the other and is determined to do that good. Agape love describes how God loves us, but also how we love God and love each other. And the Bible is clear that the greatest expression of agape love is the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's the Apostle John, 1 John 4 As was read, this is how God showed his love love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And here is the Apostle Paul, another apostle, describing how the cross of Christ is God's demonstration of love to unlovely and unworthy sinners, namely us. This is the passage that Kate read. Romans 5, verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the model of how a husband should love his wife in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's agape love. So let me provide a, a working definition of love. Love is a determination to do what is good for the other at cost to self. Love is a determination to do what is good for the other at the cost to self. For this is how God loved us through the cross of Christ. This is the answer to that question. What is love? Now we're going to unpack the second question because we need to sh- see how love, uh, the love of Jesus is shown to us on the cross and we need that love. Uh, Wade read John chapter 13, and the context of this particular chapter is the night before Jesus' death. And Jesus is gathered with his 12 disciples for a last meal and a final time of teaching, fellowship, and prayer. And later that evening, Judas, one of his disciples, will betray him, and Peter, another will deny him, and the rest of the disciples will abandon him in his hour of need. And even knowing how they're going to treat him, Jesus knows that in a matter of hours, he's going to die on the cross and he's going to show them the fullness of his love for them. And so in this final time with his disciples, he's going to help them to understand what the cross is all about. Chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the end spoken of here is not what Jesus does next. The end actually refers to the cross, his death for many. But what Jesus is about to do next shows his disciples the kind of love the cross is all about. So Jesus stoops down to wash the disciples' feet one by one. And it must have been incredibly shocking and awkward. Uh, Foot washing was the work of the lowliest servant in the house because feet in sandals were exposed to dirty, dusty, smelly roads. Foot washing was unthinkable for someone in a position of authority like a rabbi, let alone Jesus, who the disciples considered their master their lord this act of love was an un, it was an act of humility of self-sacrificial love and it would still be shocking today uh, can you imagine the office of the president of the united states stooping down to wash your feet uh, when he welcomed you to dinner in the white house this unthinkable act of love by jesus is only pointing to an even more unthinkable act of love. This is how the Apostle Paul speaks of what Jesus did on the cross. Philippians 2, verse 7, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Uh, We're so used to hearing of people in authority abusing power. We're so used to hear of them using their authority for their own advantage at the expense of others. But the cross is the very opposite of this. It is power expressed in humility. It is love expressed in service for the good of the other at the cost to self. This is the love of Jesus. Peter is uncomfortable with this love, and he expresses what everyone is thinking in the room. John 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Again, Jesus is talking about the cross. He's saying to Peter that if you want to be accepted by God, you must be washed clean. Your sin must be dealt with. And the only way to have your dealt with is through the cross of Christ. The cross points to our problem. Sin is our problem. Our rejection of God is our problem. We deserve God's judgment of death eternal separation from God for our sin, but God's love meant that he sent Jesus to be a saviour and a sacrifice. A saviour who would save us from sin and death, a sacrifice who could die in our place. So God's love responds to our greatest need, and our greatest need is a solution to our sin. So we need the cross. Do you think love is making someone happy? or doing what they think is good for them. You see, doing what is actually good for them is different, isn't it, from making them happy or doing what they think is good for them. Peter wanted Jesus to be a military king for the Jews, someone stronger than the Romans. He wanted power, not weakness. He had no room for a suffering servant king Like Jesus, Peter had no room in his life for a cross. Peter was ready to draw his sword and fight for power. But what Jesus knew about Peter was that behind all that bravado was the heart of a coward. And even deeper still was the heart of a sinner. Jesus looked past what Peter wanted and he gave Peter what he needed a saviour on the cross who would wash him clean of his guilt and forgive him of his sin. You might pray and ask God for all sorts of things, and these are things that you might even demand of God as proof of his love. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that he has already responded to your greatest need. He provided his son, your saviour, on a cross for your sin. Love involves a cost to self. In fact, love involves costly substitution. Jesus dies on the cross so we would not die. John three sixteen. Those famous words: God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, the Apostle John refers to Jesus' death as an atoning sacrifice. In 1 John, the sacrifice that turns away God's anger towards our sin, away from us but towards the sacrifice, Jesus. In other words, Jesus is our substitute. One dies so that many do not die. Every time you read a book or watch a film where one of the main characters dies in a moment of loving sacrifice for many, this is an echo of the cross whether this is Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia or the T-1000 cyborg from Terminator 2 or Tony Stark from Avengers Endgame, spoiler alert. Great love always involves costly substitution. It's true of Jesus' love and it's true of our love. Every November on Remembrance Day, A day set aside to remember the loving sacrifice of so many men and women who gave their lives in wars for our good. At the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, a beam of light shines on a plaque in the middle of the shrine, and the words read Greater love hath no man. Where is this from? It's from the Bible. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And when telling his disciples to love one another, Jesus spoke about his love on the cross for them. You know, the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne is considered one of the most sacred places, but at the heart of the shrine is an echo of the love of Christ shown on the cross. You see, love is determination, it's not just emotion. Uh, Let me ask you, do you have to feel in love in order to love? Uh, That's what many think. In fact, it's often thought that unless you are true to your feelings, you are not being loving. And I want to show you that the opposite is true. Sometimes you have to do the very opposite of what you feel in order to love. On the night before Jesus died, Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14, he asked God that the cup of suffering might be taken away from him. In other words, Jesus is asking God, he's saying to God that he didn't want to suffer the excruciating agony of the cross. Imagine experiencing the judgment that billions of sinners deserve. Who would blame Jesus if he wanted another way to save the world? But I want you to notice what Jesus was feeling a few verses earlier. Mark 14, verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. What's Jesus feeling? Trouble, distress, sorrow. He is incredibly stressed. One gospel account tells us that his sweat was like drops of blood. He is churning up inside. He's about to be betrayed, denied, abandoned by his closest friends. He will experience the sin and the judgment of the world, and he'll die a horrific and humiliating death on a cross. Of course, Jesus is not feeling great, is he? When I was growing up, I used to think that it was easy for Jesus to die on the cross. I mean, he loved me after all. And when you love someone, it's easy, isn't it? How Wrong I Was About Jesus and About Love. A few years ago, the Pixar movie Inside Out was released, and it was a story about a girl who has a very happy life until she has to move across the country. And there's another story going on inside her. It's about two emotions that are seeking to battle for control of her. There's Joy, who's had most of the control, Uh, through her life, and now sadness is starting to have more control of her life. And basically, the message of the movie is that it's okay for joy and sadness to be in control of your emotions. Life is often bittersweet. And I think the movie did at least one good thing, and that was to tell us that life isn't just about being happy all the time. But the problem with the movie is that it affirms the message that I think our society holds on to, that you are controlled by your emotions. You are what you feel, whether that is happiness or sadness or grief or anger, etc. Now, What the movie failed to mention is your will. God gave you not only emotions, he gave you a will. Separate to your emotions, a will to act and reason on the basis of love regardless of what your emotions say. Now, I want you to hear this because you've been told for years that you are the sum total of your feelings, your emotions, and you are so much more than this. God made you more than your emotions. He gave you a will so that you don't have to be a slave to your emotions. I want you to see what Jesus did with his emotions when he prayed that night in the garden. He said to God, his Father, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus submitted his emotions to his will, and he submitted his will to his Father's will. All for the sake of loving a world that hated him. And after praying this, Jesus walked the path of the cross Jesus wasn't true to his feelings. He wasn't, and I will be forever grateful. Was Jesus loving? Yes, he was. He loved us so much, he gave his life for us. We need to be loved by Jesus through the cross. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me, he said to Peter. Let me ask you. Have you received the love of Jesus? There is a hunger in our community for love, a love that is deep and satisfying, a love that seeks the good of others, even at great cost to self, a love that is loyal, a love that never fails, a love that sees you at your worst and gives you its very best. And that love is found in Jesus. Here are the words of one of my favorite hymns. My song is love unknown. My saviour's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake, my Lord should take frail flesh and die? If you want to experience that love, you must make room for the cross in your life. It's both the simplest and the hardest thing to do. Simple, because you don't bring anything to a relationship with Jesus except your sin. All you have to do is to trust Jesus. Believe in him, accept his love. You don't need to perform or to pretend with Jesus. And yet it's also hard because you have to swallow your pride and admit that you need him to serve you. We need to be loved by Jesus. And this brings me to my final point. We need to love like Jesus. Uh, Hear me for a moment. I I think the kind of community you long for, the kind of community the world needs, is the community that loves like Jesus. Imagine a community full of people who demonstrated the humble, sacrificial, other-centered love of Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in a community like that? And Jesus says that it is a necessary response of those who've been loved by Jesus. John 13, verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then later on in verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The old commandment in the Old Testament was love your neighbor as you love yourself. But this new commandment comes with an even deeper experience of God's love on the cross. Not only did Jesus love his neighbor, but on the cross, Jesus loved his enemies. The cross forms the basis of our love for others. 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus said a few verses earlier that if we do not love like this, we show that we do not know God. You see, if you truly know the love of the cross, you will want to show that same love to others. There's no room for self-centered consumerism in the gospel of Jesus. You're not just a consumer of love, you are a practitioner of love. Let me give you an example. COVID has brought out the best and the worst in our community. I remember the worst, one of the worst behaviors was hoarding of pasta, of toilet paper. But that is a self-centered attitude, isn't it? As long as me and my whole household are fine, who cares about anyone else? And so people were stockpiling hundreds of toilet rolls in their houses. And it was actually reported that pensioners were the most affected by this because they couldn't compete. They couldn't carry that much toilet paper. Now, if there were followers of Jesus amongst those stockpiling, shame on us. This is what 1 John 3, verse 16 says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? One of the best things I've seen during this pandemic is seeing the generosity of my brothers and sisters here in this church. We established a hardship fund last year for people in very difficult circumstances because they lost jobs or uh, they didn't have visas uh, that allowed them to work. They didn't qualify for JobKeeper and a significant amount of money was given to the hardship fund to help people with rent, groceries and utilities. And the same can be said for the way in which People here have responded to the, food, the needs of the food bank for La Trobe That is loving like Jesus, like the cross, not just with words, but with deeds. Here's another one. Loving like Jesus means obeying Jesus. Jesus loved God, his Father, by obeying his Father's commands. If we are to love like Jesus, we too will obey Jesus' commands. John 15 If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. In the months ahead, as we come out of lockdown, there'll be lots of talk of freedom the freedom to travel, to shop, to socialize when and where we please. And we normally think that love is freedom to pursue what we want. But the Bible says true freedom is to pursue what Jesus wants. If you want to experience life to the full, and that is a life of loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus, then trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus is a priority. We need to obey Jesus in relation to what he says about money, about time, about speech, about sex, about relationships. Another one, loving like Jesus means we are quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, We've been starved of face-to-face relationships, and to be honest, we're going to need to learn how to relate with one another again, and I think listening is key to this. Uh, Most of us are good at talking and and not listening. In fact, some of us are good at interrupting others because we have so much to say. Uh, That's not loving, is it? A good talker doesn't necessarily make a good listener, and all of us need to work at listening actively. And the way I describe active listening when I, when I do marriage preparation with couples is I talk about it being informing your love. How can you love someone unless you understand them? And how can you understand them unless you listen to them? Then you can inform your love to love them better and that requires work. The natural thing to do might just be to dump whatever you want to say on them, but be quick to listen instead. Loving like Jesus means forgiving as Jesus forgave us. Uh, In a cancel culture which justifies hatred and the trolling and scorn of those who do not agree with us, we're to be people who love our enemies. We're not people who bear grudges. We're not to be people who harbor bitterness and resentment. We're told to pray for those who persecute us. Like the father in the story of Luke 15, we have to be ready to welcome back people who've been lost in sin, and we must be ready to forgive someone when they say sorry. This is one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? But if we struggle with this, we need to keep looking at the cross to see how Jesus forgave us. And then we need to entrust ourselves to God when we obey his command to forgive others. Loving like Jesus means sharing the message of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says that the love of Christ compelled him, that one died for all and therefore all died. And it was this love that drove Paul to share with others what he calls the message of reconciliation, that sinners can be reconciled to God. So greater than our fear of not knowing what to say or our fear of awkwardness or rejection is the love of Christ. The most loving thing that we can do for our community who do not know Christ is to share the gospel of Christ with them, to point them to the cross. Loving like Jesus means meeting together. Hebrews 10 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's been a long time since we've been able to do that in our gatherings on Sundays. And we're still waiting in the roadmap for the permission to do that. But there is a roadmap. There are restrictions easing. There'll be more opportunities to meet with one another in person, outdoors, in smaller groups. And I'd encourage you to take up these opportunities. And I know you're tired. I know you're scared. I know how you're feeling because I feel some of those things too. But don't give up. As you've been loved by Jesus, seek opportunities to love others and to encourage them. And I think one of the challenges of meeting up again has been complicated by the whole issue of vaccination, isn't it? And to help you in this, to actually maybe talk through some of these things, I actually wanted to say uh, time on Zoom after the service, I would be happy and willing to actually have some of that dialogue to talk about how the things we've talked tonight about, love, actually apply about this issue of vaccines. Please feel free to join us after the service for this. Well, in summary, what is love? It's a determination to do what is good for the other at the cost to self. We've been loved by Jesus on the cross. We need to love like Jesus. And when we love like Jesus, the world will see it and the world will take notice. Now, Because of COVID last year, we missed the death of, I think, one of our greatest Australians, Dr. Catherine Hamlin, who died in March in Ethiopia, she and her husband Reg, both committed followers of Jesus, left Sydney for a planned trip of three years. Sixty years later, Catherine Hamlin died in Ethiopia, having established a fistula hospital in Addis Ababa. It's estimated that she helped 60,000 women In our country of good medical care, we avoid obstructed labors, but in other countries, fistulas leave women with incontinence, pain, discomfort, the risk of uh, infection, and social isolation. Obstetric fistulas are the result of poverty. And most women in the world who suffer from these fistulas are rejected, are forgotten. But not to Jesus and not to Reg and Catherine Hamlin. And over the years, people recognised their love. Catherine Hamlin was visited by Prince Charles and Princess Mary. She was interviewed by Oprah, and twice she was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. A book was written about her called The Hospital by the River. And hanging on the wall of the hospital is Catherine and Reg's Inspiration, a verse from the Bible, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, where Jesus said, What you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That is the love that our community needs, isn't it? Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are love and that when we look at you, we see your determination to love us for our good at the great price of your son, Jesus. Father, we know we need to be loved by Jesus in our honest moments. We know how deeply sinful we are. And so we come to the cross, confessing our sin and asking Jesus to save us, to help us. Uh, Father, you know too that we need to love like Jesus that we can't simply embrace his love, we must show it. So please help us to show that love, even when it's hard, when people are hard, when we're tired and scared. Please help us to keep looking at Jesus, that we might find strength to love that we didn't know we could find. And help the world to see that love, so that they might see Jesus and not us.